Katrin with Disability Rights New York. Welcome to our podcast, Empire State of Rights Closed Captioned. We are here to bring you information on the most relevant topics regarding disability rights and advocacy. Today, we welcome Brian Milburn, a self-advocate and educator for the deaf and hard of hearing community. And we are also joined by Donna Jean Steele, who is providing ASL interpretations for this episode. We are going to discuss assistive technology and language access, accessibility guidelines for online events and e-learning, and the importance of including ASL interpretations and captioning for the deaf and hard of hearing community. Brian, Donna Jean, thank you both so much for joining us today. Hi, I'm happy to be here and talk with you guys. Thanks for inviting me. Brian, let's start by talking a little bit about you. Uh, tell us about yourself and um, what it is that you've been doing as an advocate for the deaf community. Sure. So I'm deaf. I was deaf from birth. And I went to RIT, which is um, the National Institute for the, for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, and I became a professional tutor there. And then while I, I became a teacher, and that was within NTID, which is a part of RIT. And I spent six years there developing their English department. And then I moved on to um, working for a not-for-profit organization. And that was providing um, grants for uh, many different organizations. And I learned a lot about e-learning when I worked there. <clears throat> and I left that company and I went back to school to get my second master's degree, which I'm currently doing right now. And that's going to be in, in, in instructional design. And then the pandemic happened. So, I mean, it's very relevant. And it really has changed the way everyone's learning. And but my degree is going to be very relevant, I think. And so from your experience as a student, as well as an educator, what do organizations and educators need to improve on, um, especially regarding assistive technology and language access? It's something that we at DRNY are talking a lot about. Um, language access is a big issue, uh, not only for non-English speaking um, people, but also for the deaf and hard of hearing community. Talk to us a little bit about what needs to happen. So your question is about the improvements. Is that what you're asking about? Improvements as far as having information relayed to uh, the deaf and hard of hearing community, whether it's through the news or through education, um, really in every area uh, of life that there may be lacking right now. That's really a great question. Um, I honestly think that a lot of changes have happened in the last 15 years. And within the deaf community, you know, there's been slow improvements. And I've seen a lot of those at RIT and with their cultural shifts that have been happening. Um, but, you know, there's still work that needs to get done. You know, obviously, um, there's many barriers that deaf and hard of hearing faculty and students experience there. Um, those have definitely been reduced with these changes, but I think it's more, 
that professionals, you know, are getting into the work field in, in RIT and MTID and trying to figure out how to advocate for themselves. Um, you know, especially here in New York, in Rochester, New York, you know, we're very highly sensitive and aware of the deaf community. But, you know, like I said before, you know, there's still more, more work that needs to be done. You know, considering um, a more inclusive work environment and making sure that there's team access and communication and technology for both the hearing and the deaf that are, might be working there. Yeah, and so you've mentioned in the pandemic, you know, as that uh, kind of interrupted what you were doing um, in your own life, on your own educational path, a lot of things have changed. Um, you know, we've, we have seen a lot of uh, ASL interpreters um, on newscasts, in camera. Um, there's also, you know, now we have even doing this podcast, we're doing it through Zoom, we're doing it through an online platform. Talk to us about accessibility and best practices for people when they are, you know, whether it's uh, talking to someone just one-on-one -on -one or even having a class or having a webinar, what are best practices so that the deaf and hard of hearing community can feel included in this process? As one of the companies that were learned, that were managing some of these online learning resources, we emphasize learning accessibility at CSD Learns, where I used to work. And, you know, just making sure that there's a budget line, whether your company has it to, you know, have interpreters, card services, um, you know, fitting any deaf and hard person's language um, needs. You know, it could be a deaf blind person that could be attending your webinar or class, you know, and their needs are going to be different they might need more accessibility than just a regular deaf person. So making sure that you have that in your budget and that you are flexible with that and just planning ahead and planning for your projects and keeping that in mind. So, and I think having a workflow chart, you know, creating that accessibility and putting that at the top of it for any event, any team meeting or planning that might be going on in your organization or company, you know, just putting that as a top priority for a deaf person or a person with a disability that might be working there, just putting that as a top priority and consider that. And I mean, imagine if you were working in an environment where there wasn't any um, vocal languages, you know, you might need captioning. So there are people in the world that are older that maybe have, you know, other challenges. They can't hear as well. They might be hard of hearing. You know, they have to have, be able to have other language access options too. So there's a whole wide range of people to consider. That, that's such a good point. And I like how you said that, you know, putting accessibility at the top of the list um, too often accessibility is an afterthought. And I think we see this in how uh, different organizations and I even think about video games specifically, how they, you know, they're gonna retrofit um, something that's already been built uh, for 
accessibility, where if we start from the beginning with accessibility, then we're not trying to unroll that uh, that ball of yarn and, and re-roll it in a different way. And um, and I think too often accessibility is, is not at the top of the list. And um, if you start there and you make sure that, especially adding a budget line item, you're attaching money to it, you're really um, identifying the importance of it. So um, I really appreciate both of those points. And, and you know, as we think about um, even Oh, as the pandemic started, uh, as you know, DRNY uh, did have to sue the previous governor uh, of New York in order to get in-camera um, ASL as emergency alerts regarding COVID were coming out. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about um, the differences in not only ASL, but CART uh, uh, translation, as well as the difference between um, having an ASL interpreter um, who is themselves hearing uh, or is not. Um, that that it was new information for me when we talked about it. Um, and how how do those processes work? And how can the our audience get better educated about the differences in these three languages? So let me explain a little bit about my work experience at NTID when I was a professor. So we are, you know, educating all different Americans, 18, 19 years old, typically, you know, freshmen, students, I typically worked with. They would come to NTID with severe language challenges. And many of them, you know, were impacted and they didn't have the exposure when they were growing up, you know, from birth. They didn't, you know, acquire language the same way or have an exposure that hearing people that maybe they're, um, there's lots of different reasons why they, that might have happened when they were a child. But that's not because they don't have a lack of English fluency necessarily, but that it, it impacted their ability to, you know, do analytical thinking and there's, there's a pharmaceutical language, sorry, there's a medical term that is language deprivation. It's a new term that's been, you know, coming about and that there's a lot of research on. And when students who are struggling with language and they have that, when they don't have that access and they become adults, you know, that obviously impacts their life throughout the whole life. So it, it, it's from the get-go when they're born. And for many deaf people, that's the experience that they have. It wasn't their first language or they don't have that acquisition at an early age. And, you know, it, if there's public safety announcements like you were mentioning during COVID, you know, there's critical information that are coming up in the captioning, but may not be 100% hundred percent accessible to those deaf people because they don't know the English language. They don't have that fluency. So it's so critical that there's a deaf interpreter on the screen relaying that information, you know, as well as the hearing interpreter um, in the background. You know, deaf people are able to convey those messages much more clearly. It's their native language. You know, it's linguistically, it's they're able to match what other whatever deaf person that they need to 
and they're able to convey that message much more clear. And there'll be a hearing interpreter on the other end. But, you know, in general, you know, hearing interpreters learn their sign language through books and professors, you know, and imagine if they're out there in the world and there's a hearing interpreter, but they don't, you know, it's not their first language. So, you know, they just have a baseline. They do as good a job as they can. You know, you can't compare that to a deaf interpreter who can, you know, do it 100%. And they can just provide that access much more fully. They're able to express themselves in that native language. And it's much more clear for deaf people to get that. That's why it's, it's, it's great for New York State. Um, and the governor's office, when they finally did it, to have a certified deaf interpreter on the screen, you know, making those safety announcements, it was just so critical during that time. You know, and I'm, I'm, I was hope, hopeful that it would be ongoing as well. I think we've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of, I don't know if it's progress necessarily, but maybe awareness um, through COVID and through the pandemic, um, specifically around uh, sign language and interpretation. I'm hoping, uh, as I, I believe you are, that we're going to see this um, not just stay where it is, but really progress as, along the lines of information that will be coming to all communities everywhere. And this will be the standard, right? Um, this is something that I think we should look forward to as being the standard, again, as opposed to uh, an afterthought and something that has to be added in um, after too many, uh, whether it's news broadcasts or any type of information has gone out. Um, I, I think that we could probably talk about language access and I love uh, the term, um, you letting us know about the term language deprivation. That's uh, so interesting and I would really love to hear more about that from you um, in the future. And I, I'd love to have you back to talk a little bit more about it. Um, but before we sign off on this podcast, is there anything else that you'd like our audience to know about whether it's something you're working on or is important to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so related to accessibility, you know, anything less than 100% is inaccessible. So you can't accept anything below 100. You know, 95, 99.9, .9, accessibility is key. There's people that are going to have um, different benefits from getting accessible technology, language, whatever that may be. And, you know, I'm deaf, I have my own struggles. And there are other people that are have disabilities that have their own struggles as well. But focusing on accessibility is just so important for everyone and any community in general. And, you know, living their own life and going on their own path, it's just important to have that. I encourage everyone to, you know, you know out there in the world, you know, if they're in a leader organization, you know, you know, so everything happens from the top down. The way you think, the culture, changes have to happen from the top down. So it starts from the executive level. It, it involves people's attitudes and how they feel about other people. Agreed. Um, again, it has to be made um, a priority um, from the very top of the organization, every organization, um, so that it can really be part of the entire organization's mission. 
Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. I really do look forward to talking to you again. Um, and certainly if there's anything else that you're working on that you wanna let us know about, please give us a shout and we'd love to have you back. All right, thank you so much. I look forward to coming back. Appreciate it. Empire State of Rights has been brought to you by Disability Rights New York, your source for disability rights and advocacy. If you enjoyed our program, make sure to subscribe, like, and share this post. The video for this episode is available on our YouTube channel with closed captioning and ASL interpretation. If there is a subject you would like us to discuss, please email podcast at drny.org or comment below. For more Empire State of Rights, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.